This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we talk about fabric pools with Arun Raman and find out how ONTAP is adding a new wrinkle to the data fabric. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi, and on the phone with me today is Glenn Sizemore. How we doing, Justin? Even better the second time. Uh, yeah, I was I was going to wait and see if uh, you were going to make reference to it. It's <laughs> okay. The listeners don't need to know that we already did this. No, once. I I have no shame, and I'm okay with being fully transparent in the fact that this is take two. I didn't hit record the first time. Well, in the interest of those who weren't here for take one, uh, where's Andrew? Uh, Barcelona, of course. Uh, OpenStack Summit. Um, very well-traveled. Most interesting man in the world. Yeah, he's certainly the most traveled TME at NetApp. That's yeah, for damn sure. Uh, the, yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm hoping he would use his Sky Miles for something good like a uh, business class seat. Yeah, no, we know Sully, man. He's gonna, he's just gonna ride in the middle seat. He'll just kind of cross his arms, put it, put a movie on his iPad, and be like, "Ooh, it'll be okay." Go get stuck in the middle seat. Boo hoo. Anyway, enough of that. We'll have to, we'll have to give him some, uh, some good ribbing, some good old ribbing when he gets back. Um, and we'll also probably do a uh, OpenStack slash VMworld Barcelona recap where he has to tell us all the things. Well, from, from my perspective, he's take he just took the month of October off. You know, I'm just from, you know, from what I could say, I haven't seen him at all this month. That is a fair assessment. Um, just saying. All right. So, also on the phone with us today is Arun Raman, and that's like the noodles. Um, and yes, that I did reuse that joke the second time. Uh, I'll be fully transparent. Uh, Arun, uh, hi. Uh, tell us what you do at NetApp and how long you've been here. Hi, Justin, and hi, Glenn. Uh, my name is Arun Raman. Um, I've been with NetApp for a little over 12 years now and um, uh, part of the ONTAP product management group and uh, specifically manage the feature called Fabric Pool. So Fabric Pool was announced at Insight. Uh, and if you don't know what it is, Arun is here to give you the 10,000-foot view of it. And then we'll drill a little deeper down, talk about some use cases, uh, and as well as some details into what it's supposed to do when it does come out. Um, since it is a future-facing uh, feature, we can't really give details on the release or you know things like you know when it's going to come out. But you can get a general idea what Fabric Pools is going to do for your on-time implementation. So, Arun, if you could, uh, ten thousand foot view, please. Yeah, I'll start at thirty thousand foot because that simplifies things, and then I'll go into the details uh, if you don't mind. So, in essence, uh, Fabric Pool is part of the on-tap right feature list. And it is a tiering solution. It moves the data between uh, different uh, tiers of storage classes, Nahim, uh, to uh, save these to overall storage costs, right? And going into a little bit deeper, um, if you have built an all flash SSD storage array, right, and you're pumping in a lot of workloads into it, uh, there is a good chance after one, one month or a few days, even you know, most of, um, say, 50 to 60% of your data is not touched at all. Right, and the question is, why do you want to storage that much amount of data on your SSDs, which could be used for other active data sets? Right, so Fabric Pool, without much of uh, complex policies, automates this movement from your SSDs 
into a low-cost storage. And if the data happens to be um, from a cold to hot again, it moves the data back without your uh, without the application knowledge at all. So so far, that just sounds like active storage tiering. So what makes Fabric Pools different? There are a few things. As I said, so one, it is automa- uh, automated, right? Um, as an administrator, I don't have to deal with uh, what files that gets called and where do I move, right? And uh, second is uh, the it, the movement is done at a waffle block level, meaning at a much granular 4K block, and it becomes agnostic to any kind of protocols. Like uh, you can, the front end can be a NAS or a SAN, and the fabric pool can work without um, any um, um, any any differences. And um, the other thing, the key thing here is with an all flash array. The key thing for a majority of the all flash arrays is the storage efficiencies, right? And since the fabric pool operates at the waffle block level, the efficiencies are preserved when moving out from an all flash array into a second secondary tier. That's pretty cool. I didn't know about the efficiencies. I knew about the block level and having the metadata pointers, but the efficiencies is a cool little feature. Yep. So if you're getting a 4 to 1 ratio, you're still preserving on the object storage as well, which is pretty cool. What's also cool about that is since we are tiering off to cloud, that would I, I would assume that would help save money in the cloud because we're not moving as much data. Yeah, that's the other key selling point, right? So there are a lot of solutions out there with the tiering. Right, but the main aim is on the total cost of ownership. But um, uh, the the benefit of Fabric Pool is it can further bring down um, with the all these storage efficiencies preserved. Yeah, for for the listeners at home, I was kind of burying the lead there and did a did, did a bad job. But uh, that that is the thing that I was trying to pull out there: the fact that uh, when we do tier that data off, we're not just tier tiering it to another you know set of of media that's attached to the storage controller. We're tiering it off to the cloud, you know, to 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 a, a it's to an S three uh, bucket essentially, correct? Yeah. I should have been specific that yes, um, I've been specifying to a low cost storage, right? Um, in this case, we have chosen the object storage as the the second tier, which could be a, a, a Amazon S three for the for all off prem uh, cases, right? And we also support storage grid. If you don't want the data to be leaving out of your data center, which is uh, storage grid is our object storage or NetApp object storage um, solution. And it's not just about leaving the data center for security concerns, but also performance because and cost, really. Because, I mean, when you pull it out of your storage grid object, you're not paying for it. But you also get the benefits of the lower latency links as opposed to pulling it straight down off the cloud. That's very much true, and again, it, um, it a lot of factors depend, right? So, one, as I said earlier, uh, it's the the security, and second thing is on the performance, and also third is on the cost. So, if you feel your data, uh, you won't be pulling much of data back, and if your data center is much close to the Amazon data center, um, and most of the modern data centers are built much closer to the Amazon data centers, right? And also with our NetApp private storage offering, yes. Um, we are not restricting storage grid for the performance use case. You can still use Amazon. And what about NetApp private storage? Are we supporting that in the first release? Yes, we do support that one. Um, so the, all the performance tier in this case, all the SSD drives with the uh, AFF uh, controller sits on your Equinix Colo, for example, and it can tier to an Amazon S3, which, are, which we have a direct connectivity. 
And some of the earlier testing we did um, uh, shows the latency or an average latency around uh, three to five milliseconds, which is not bad at all. Yeah, so is pretty- that that three to five milliseconds accessing data when we're doing a remote hit from an S3 bucket? That's right. That's right. Wow, that's phenomenal. Yeah, that's really yeah. good. Because there is a direct, direct connectivity from your uh, NPS to your uh, uh, Amazon data center, right? And that's the beauty of the solution, right? So the you uh, as a customer, I'm not compromising on the performance, right? So all the rights I do lands on an SSD, right? And uh, most of the times I work on an active file system, which resides on the SSDs, right? Uh, so I'm not compromising on the any of my performance needs. And uh, second is on the storage efficiencies, which is preserved end-to-end. Um, so, um, and I'm getting at a, a cost of, um, say, in, a, in an example we did for a TCO calculation, where we assumed if you're clearing of 50% of our storage um, every month to an Amazon, adding all your uh, bandwidth cost, storage cost, and everything, at the end of the three years, you still save around 45 to 50% uh, of your total cost of ownership in terms of for the storage. That's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, I I'm a I am a super bullish on on this strategy and 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 what you and your team are building. Uh, to me, it just makes a ton of sense. And and, and you know, th- there's a lot of ways that that this problem has been broken down. The one that we've used on the podcast before, and all agreed that we hate, even though uh, it's it's got quite a bit of adoption um, in the 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 industry. There is the whole flash and trash thing, right? We've got really fast performance media. And then we've got just data that we have to keep around uh, and, and, and we've got high durability requirements, but maybe the availability can slip a little bit and our access times aren't super important. Um, but, but having the ability to manage those as different levers, right, and to control cost by moving them independently, I find incredibly attractive and, and using object storage as that destination bucket for any uh, any uh, data that we age out of of the active file system it's it's just it's a modern approach right it's almost like a microservices based architecture to data management you know we've got a clean protocol that sits between the two systems and 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 when we when, when we talk about what that endpoint is well we can start to have granular conversations with customers some customers i'm sure it'll be all amazon and that's going to make the most sense to them but as we've already kind of danced around a little bit here it gets gray real quick as to whether or not you should rent an S3 bucket or own one. And that really depends on how much data you have and how many sites and what your access use cases are. But, but the fabric pools architecture makes it very simple from a data management perspective because you've got that go-between. Yeah. So you're just using the smart economics of the cloud, right? So uh, most of the people listening to this podcast are from the storage world. Right, so mainly there are two disruptors today. So one is the flash, and other is the cloud. And fabric pool, um, <laughs> I would call it as a marriage. Right, it marries the two technologies together, taking the benefits of the, each of the things. Flash for the performance, and the cloud for the large storage and the smart economics they have. On the top of it, it's the on tap that manages where to place the data. Right, and your day to day operations. Uh, from an application perspective, or even if you're doing a backup or a DR, nothing changes from an operation perspective, right? Everything works as you do today. So uh, that's an added bonus or an added advantage if you're a storage administrator. It almost sounds like a data fabric. Yeah, that's why the name fabric, <laughs> right? 
the meme you came up. Uh, I just came up with that just now, just so you know. <laughs> That's one of the reasons behind the fabric pool name, to be honest. You gonna go trademark that real quick, Justin? Yeah, already done. Um, NetApp's gonna have to pay me every time they use it now. Okay, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, tell us a little bit about the the policies. So. I understand there are policies in place, but I haven't quite gotten the details down about how these policies are going to work. How do I configure it as a storage administrator? And what sort of flexibility and granularity do I have on these policies? Yeah, so the uh, number of knobs we provided are very minimal, again, to make it more simple and uh, let the ONTAP make most of the decisions, right? But uh, said that there are certain um, uh, policies that really dictate what to tier, right? Um, so we do our policies at two levels. One is at the aggregate and one is the volume. Um, so uh, at the aggregate level, it is very simple. Either turn it on or turn it off. If you're, uh, if it is off, then all the data is up pinned to your SSDs. And, um, and in the case, if you have like say 10 volumes inside the aggregate, you can choose which volume can uh, start hearing the data. For some security reasons, you might need to have all the data within the security or even the performance re reasons, right? You can um, have all the data to be on the on-prem or on the SSDs. So for those volumes, you can individually turn the tiering off, right? And um, on the volumes that can start uh, tiering, you can set what to tier. So first level is um, snapshot, right? The so snapshot are the data um, that holds some of the data that is overwritten on the active file system, right? So those data can be immediately tiered off to the um, S3, uh, which essentially means only the active file system will reside on the uh, on the SSD tier, right? Um, and the second uh, uh, policy is the backup policy. So if you're uh, using a snap mirror or a snap vault, and if the secondary site has a um, backup copy, um, instead of holding them on the SSDs, you can um, set the policy as backup, and that would immediately tear off all the data to the uh, object storage, right? And the last one is the pretty much the attractive one, what we call it as an auto policy. Uh, this looks at all the inactive data or the cold data in the active file system and tears them off to the, um, the object storage. So essentially three policies, snapshot data, which would be your 10 or 15%. Um, second is a backup, which could be um, around 30 to 40%. And the third is the uh, cold data within your active file system, which can go up to even 80% of your total um, use capacity. And the snapshot piece is one of the most interesting things to me because dealing with storage for so long, one of the most annoying things you ever have is you have these snapshots laying around and they just eat up gigs and gigs and gigs of space. They exceed your overall snap reserve. They're eating into your active file system and you don't know what to do with them because you want to keep them around because they have your backups essentially because some people use them as backups, but you don't know what to do. <laughs> it's like, what am I going to do? So being able to tear it off somewhere else is, I think, a, a great value add. Yeah, snapshot is the uh, um, is the fastest way to restore on your primary system, right? Before not going to your uh, secondary site. So having a lot of uh, snapshots on your primary and not consuming that storage on your uh, SSDs, uh, that's where Fabric Pool helps, right? And secondly, um, it is also a low risk. Right, it's a snapshot copy. Yes, that is a secondary copy if you're doing a data protection. Um, it's for the customer to start this feature, uh, start the fabric pool, we believe, um, at least most of the customers I've spoken to, start with a 
snapshot where they feel it is less risky and then move it to the auto tiering where the active data and the active uh, the inactive data and the active file system is being tiered off on the when 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 we're using the snapshot based policy there there is that is that tiering off all snapshots or is it an aged uh, like father son grandfather type system where the the more recent snapshots stay on disk and the older ones go or is it a a copy based system where we 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 store a copy of it in the cloud but still keep it locally how exactly does that work no it's all the snapshots right so with tiering we don't keep any copy on the primary system it's completely moved off and uh, so it's uh, even within the snapshot, it's uh, it's the blocks that are not shared with the active file system, right? So this can happen when you're overwriting the data on the active file system, then that is that data block is blocked within the snapshot only, right? Doesn't that change the heuristics of what a snapshot is, though? I mean, I, I know that we've had this for a little while with with SnapVault and our our uh, restore on demand capabilities, but if if my snapshot is all saved up in a S3 bucket in Amazon, and I'm not on an MPS connection, and I'm pulling that over the internet. Snap restores are no longer instantaneous, correct? Uh, it it takes a little bit more time, right? Because it has to pull the data back. But yeah. uh, um, underneath it, just the inode change, right? Unless you're reading the data, we don't pull the data back, right? In this case, we are doing a snap restore um, instead of only the snapshot pointing to that object ID. The active file system will change. Uh, change the inode mapping to the object ID. Okay, so the system's smart enough to only pull the blocks that it's missing when it's actually processing the data. It's not like it has to suck it all back down and then reconstitute it. Yeah, that's right. So uh, it's pretty much simple, right? So the yeah, that's uh, when, awesome. we, uh, when we tear off, uh, we don't. Um, as I said earlier, we have eat mapping for every uh, 4K waffle data blocks, right? But when we tear it off to an object storage, we combine multiple 4K blocks. Um, we make it up to 4 MB or 1,000 objects because that's the optimal or the ideal size of an object for all performance considerations, right? And uh, when uh, data is requested, say, only the 8 KB of the complete 4 MB object, we don't move the complete 4 MB to the on-prem, right? We just um, refer the, the 4 KB or the 8 KB blocks, uh, pull them back, and uh, serve that data to the requested application. So this saves, if you're on the Amazon, this saves um, um, the bandwidth cost and also the number of requests you make to the um, to retrieve the object back. Yeah, it's the API cost that I would be particularly concerned with, but it sounds like you guys have already kind of really put some thought into that and how we're going to manage that for customers. That's right. Cool. There are a lot of heuristics built into when retrieving the data, right? So one is, yes, you can prefetch uh, or fetch only the part of the object, and second is called the prefetch um, algorithm. So if you're seeing uh, the application is mo doing more of a, a sequential read, then we pull on the uh, pull back the adjacent objects back to the um, on-prem to reduce um, the latency that is incurred by the application. So there's a prefetch that is implemented inside the on and inside the fabric pool as well. So with this particular um, this feature, what sort of dedicated or what sort of specific use cases are we looking at? It is it you know can we use databases on it? Um, can we use you know just file systems? I mean, where are we looking at our, our sweet spots? Yeah, so the um, from a feature perspective, it can support any kind of data, right? Uh, but for the uh, the customers that are more interested, are the file sharing kind of customers, the EDA verticals, the finance verticals where they have to still store a lot of data right on their primary system 
and they don't want to delete it, right? So one alternative for them was to back it up and delete the data. If they want to uh, refer to that data, they can restore it, right? But at that point of time, they have to do a lot of um, operations, either to restore or change the uh, reference to a different storage. But with uh, with Fabric Pool, the application always refers to uh, one point, right? It's just how the ONTAP manages the data. So this is mostly seen in um, the financial companies like the law firms where they don't want to move the data around manually, right? So that's one. The EDS set of customers where there are bulk of uh, data generated, um, they want to use it more efficiently. So I would say it's more on the file shares to start with. Uh, but if we can understand what or how the access patterns are with the uh, with the Oracle and the other um, enterprise applications, we can tune it to um, uh, behave better for those kind of applications. But in, in, uh, from an architecture point of view, in today it can support any workload. What about from a? Uh, how does the capacity limits work? D does any of that stuff change, or or is it still essentially the the, the platform limit? Um, and, and we're just augmenting the disk with, with the cloud. Yes, um, the platform, uh, the, um, the limits doesn't change, right? So uh, all, to explain it simply, right? So for all practical purposes, uh, I ask the customer or who the audience is to see the S3, the object storage as another disk shelf, right? So if you're okay. creating an aggregate of 400 terabytes, today without the fabric pool, all the 400 terabytes is within, within the cluster or within the disk. So with Fabric Pool, the 400 terabytes is spread from disk uh, onto the cloud. So the limit doesn't change, and that true uh, that holds true for uh, the flex wall as well. So if you're creating a five terabyte uh, flex wall, either all the five uh, five terabyte can be consumed on your SSDs or it can be spread across both the class of storage. So that way, it's pretty much simple. Um, we don't alter any of the limits. So on tap. Uh, uh, doesn't see the systems differently. What about a data migration once data is already in one of those buckets? If I configure a system to, you know, let's 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 say a customer starts playing around with with fabric pools in the EVP we're going to talk about here in a little bit, uh, and they store some data up in in Amazon and they fall in love with the feature, but but they're one of those customers that just has enough data that's worth storage grid. Is this? Uh, do we envision a scenario where will they'll be able to? go through a migration and get that from, from the buckets where it's, it's hydrated some of the data, pull it back in and migrate it? How is that going to work? It, it's, uh, it's a simple wall move, right? Um, so with, the, with Fabric Pool, you can attach as many buckets you want, right? And the, uh, the buckets can be from different uh, service providers as well. So in this case, what you do is attach a storage, create a storage grid bucket uh, attached to aggregate A, and um, if you have an Amazon bucket aggregate um, attached to aggregate B and do a wall move, the only thing is you will, uh, if you are moving from Amazon to storage grid, there is a high cost on the transfer co uh, on the, the data that's pulled back from Amazon to on-prem. Yeah, yeah, that's the, the repatriation fees. Yeah, but um, all the operations are um, nothing different. Uh, it's the same wall move, but they need to be cautious of the cost. Uh, that's the only thing. So that's awesome. It's 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 a per aggregate uh, setting, uh, or, or actually, you, beforehand we talked about how the 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 policies could be configured on a, a aggregate or a volume. Does that mean that a volume can override the the aggregate level setting, or or is that just I can change the retention policy on a volume within an aggregate? 
Yeah, so the uh, the volume can override the aggregate settings, right? It's only in the case when aggregate is on and you can turn it off on an individual volume, not the other way around. That's ah, incredibly granular. You guys are just in it. You just built a, a Swiss Army tool here, and and our customers get to go figure out what works and what doesn't. That's awesome. Yep. So earlier we mentioned the concept of um, offloading to something like on-prem, like uh, like like SATA drives. Is that something that might be coming in the future? Yeah, that's something planned for the future, right? So the from an operation perspective, determining the auto or the cold doesn't change. It's just the interface or, um, or the module that changes VAT to Tier 2. So today we mostly talk um, S3. Um, and, uh, that's where we support Storage Grid and Amazon. And uh, that also means that we can also support other S3 compliant object storage as well. And in the future, we'll probably add more, um, like the Microsoft Azure, or even tearing it to an, another SATA drive within the on-tap um, using some of the technologies we, have, uh, we might need to build. Are the customers you're talking to, are they looking at this as a potential for replacing tape as backup or even like, you know, offloading the cloud as backup, like using this as their as their backup solution? No. So that's one um, uh, I need to really point out, um, saying the fabric pool doesn't replace any of your data protection technologies, right? This is just to reduce your storage cost on your primary storage. You still need to have snapshots on your primary to restore any of the quick lost data. Um, and you still need to have a snap mirror if you want a DR solution or um, snap vault if you want a backup. So um, uh, we just chose cloud to be uh, the cheapest and the um, high um, and gives us some, some, some kind of a high availability and performance that matches the enterprise requirements, but it doesn't replace any of the data protection technologies. Kind of like the next generation version of flash pools, right? Uh, just a better way of tiering uh, data storage to control costs. That's right. It's uh, internally we call it as an hybrid aggregate tool auto. So Arun, is there any other information out there, like uh, written down anywhere, like a blog? Yeah, that's a blog um, written by Jeff Baxter um, that that got posted yesterday in our community. I can send you the link. Okay, and we'll include that link in the uh, in the on the Tech on Tap podcast blog that we post up. Yeah, and in a couple of weeks that'll be uh, uh, that'll be article on the um, Tech on Tap newsletter as well. Okay, excellent. So we'll have more information trickling out as we get closer and closer to whenever this releases. Yeah. So Arun, if any if anyone wants to get in touch with you to ask more questions about Fabric Pools or you know inquire about the EVP program, how would they get in touch with you? Yeah, first is my official email ID, uh, which is araman at nethab.com. I'm not sure how many people can remember that. Uh, to spell it out, it's A-R-A-M-A-N at nethab.com. Or if you're a customer, just contact your uh, sales rep guy. Excellent. And we'll, uh, we'll include that email address information in the blog as well. If you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, you can reach us at podcast.netapp.com if you want to ask us questions about fabric pools or how to get in touch with Arun if you can't get in touch with him through his email. We can certainly uh, reach out to him for you as well. Or if you have any topics you wanted to hear discussed on the podcast, feel free to reach out as well. Or if you happen to be stuck next to Sully on that flight, uh, if you've seen Andrew, you know, let us know because we're not sure he still exists. Glenn just totally... Totally messed up my outro. Thanks, Glenn.
But that's okay. Uh, you can send us a tweet at NetApp. If you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team and Arun Rahman, thanks for listening. Uh, Rahman, actually, oh, yeah. you did. Glenn, man, I, you, messed up my, you messed up my flow. Were you playing the music? I was. Did you not hear it? Oh, see, no, no. Oh. I can't hear it in this setup. I can't hear any of this. Is it just me that's getting all sound today? That's okay. Oh, yeah. I, I, think it, I think it was a train wreck and it worked. Okay. Well, if you want to record the end again, we can do it. Oh, it's perfect. Perfect. <laughs> This is a Tech on Tap podcast quality.